Welcome to the Mosh Zone episode 163, week 163, volume 163, number fucking 163. Hang on guys, how's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Jake of Mantis, and that will be coming up later in the show. Let's kick off with feedback, questions, what's been going on. We're starting off this week, or we're kicking off the show this week, with a little bit of a shout out, a little bit of a question. Now for anyone that's noticed, we've had the same intro music, or song, whatever you want to call it, for 163 episodes. It's been there since episode one. But, I think it's time for a freshen up. I think it's time for a bit of change. So this is a shout out to all the musicians that listen to the show. All the artists, all the talented motherfuckers that listen to the Mosh Zone. I need a new intro song and I'd love your guys' input and help. So if you have a riff laying around or you have a spare bit of 30 second music laying around and you want to help out the Mosh Zone, shoot me a fucking message. or shoot me an email. You can find us, of course, on social media at The Mosh Zone, or the email address is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch. Let's get a conversation going. I would love to get a new track going at the start of this show, and I'd love someone from The Mosh Zone community being a part of it. So enough of my ramblings, enough of my jibber-jabber. Let's get into the main part of the show. This week, I got to sit down with Jake of Mantis. First thing I got to say, thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. So who's Mantis? In case you're unaware, they're a band that formed around the early 2000s. They were part of MTV's Battle for Ozfest reality TV show. They got to the final three... They ended up releasing a debut album through Century Media titled Sleep in Your Grave, which came out in 2005. They've been a band that's been a little bit quiet since then, and I'm a massive fucking fan of this band. And to get Jake on the show was great, not only to discover all about him, but all about the band and what's going on with the band. Epic chat. I loved every minute. I hope you do too. That chat with Jake is coming up now. Gets basically the start-off question the same. And that is that not a heavy band per se, but do you remember growing up and hearing a band that you kind of became fixated with? For me, it was age of five or six. I don't know why I became obsessed with Aerosmith. So was there a band for you that wasn't heavy that you became obsessed with? Um, I've said this in a lot of my interviews and my band used to look at me funny, but I'm an honest guy, man. And, and one of the things I remember as a kid, we traveled a lot. I lost my dad at two years old. Mm. So I had, I had a stepfather that came in my life a couple years later, great man. And we went camping a lot and mm. music was a big thing. I mean, we had the old, uh, camper on the, the Brown dually traveling through Utah, Colorado. So we listened to a lot of Garth Brooks. Right. And growing up with Garth Brooks, I mean, I was never a huge country fan at that age or mm-hmm. even in my teens when I got into punk rock and hardcore and all that. But for some reason, as as an entertainer himself, Garth Brooks was someone as a frontman 
you know, that I'd watch his music videos. And so, so for me, it was traveling through the woods and forests and listening to Garth Brooks, man, a lot of classic rock, but Garth Brooks stood out to me as, as a young kid, which was cool. Yeah, he was quite, I mean, looking into him a little bit, he was also quite the musician with imagery and performance. He really was a showman in many ways. He was a showman, man, 100%. He was, uh, he was the modern-day Johnny Cash in my eyes because, mm. you know, I'm a big Johnny fan as well. So, yeah, it's not a very metal thing. Most people probably want to hear Slayer, Pantera at the age of five and six. But, you know, straight up, it was Garth Brooks for me, dude. I think if, I think if anyone honestly says that they started out at a young age on Slayer, I think they're lying because you don't naturally, you don't naturally go to heavy. There is steps too heavy. It has to be. Sure. So sure. you mentioned punk rock and hardcore. Where do you go with your discovery in the early ages? Did it take a while for you to notice that different styles of music existed? Um, I would say for me, it was middle school. I had, a, I had a real good friend who grew up on the same street as some punk rock bands, um, some local punk rock bands like Sword of Jelly Beans, He's Dead Jim, um, that went on to play most of our local venues. And um, he needed a bass player. And he came to me, he's like, hey, I need you to learn how to play bass. And I'm like, what's that? You know, like, <laughs> I think I, I think I was 12, seventh grade or something like that. And uh, he handed me the bass. He showed me a couple chords and he gave me a, a, a guitar magazine and he taught me how to read some some notes. And he's like, I want you to learn this song. You know, I'll give you a week. And then if you can do it, man, we'll start a band. So I just sat in my in my bedroom with the bass and just I learned I learned a song and came to him and showed him. I think it was a couple power chords. Um and from there, we started some punk rock music. We imitated, you know, some of the, the guys in our neighborhood and just started making noise. So from there, it just kind of evolved. And um, that's when I started going to my first shows uh, at the age of 12. Um, we had a place called The Barn uh, and Showcase Theater. Showcase Theater was, was the Southern California CBGBs, I guess you mm -hmm. could say. I mean, every band who's ever been in this, in this category has played showcase theater. So, you know, I'd get dropped off by my mom at a young age and you'd have the Mohawks and the, in the Liberty spikes and the leather jackets. And from there, I guess it just continued to get harder. That's when I got into um, some victory bands. Um, it was nice that you had Scott from earth crisis. Cause mm. I remember that was probably one of the first hardcore shows I went to was a victory night at showcase. It was um, <clears throat> earth crisis, integrity and strife. Mm. And those were some of the bands I was like, Okay, and that's where my hardcore, that's when that kind of fell into that play from punk rock to hardcore and then obviously getting harder and harder. So, yeah, man, it was, it was probably middle school that kind of got me to familiarize the different genres and what I was getting into. So, yeah, it was cool. So, I mean, you know, obviously listeners may or may not know, but we'll come to it eventually. You know, you, you're known in Mantis for being the vocalist, but... Were you someone that, you know, when we speak of hardcore and punk, there is the element of the aggressive vocals, you know, it's a polite way of putting sure. it instead of screaming. Were you someone that naturally just liked the sound of that from the offset or did that take you a while to, you know, like? <clears throat> no, I mean, when I went from bass to vocals, again, this was high school, it was one of my punk rock bands and started getting into the heavier music, um, started following the hardcore scene. And a couple of the members in the punk rock band weren't kind of feeling it. They wanted to stay traditional punk rock. And uh, my singer at the time wasn't a very good singer. He was he was good for for punk rock, but that was about it. And he we just started jamming without him. And I just started yelling in the microphone. And my guitar player was like, "Dude, you got you got a niche for this." And I was like, "All right." And then you know the the screechy, um, pubescent like that non puberty voice 
then goes into puberty and I get the, the voice and all of a sudden I'm screaming heavier. And um, that's when I began my first hardcore band, I think my junior year. And I was just straight vocals. And it's crazy. It was with my original drummer, whom I still play with today in Mantis. He was out for a couple tours. But, I mean, we were 16 years old in our first hardcore band. And I think it was my senior year. Uh, we ended up separating from, from the band scene. And it was like right after I graduated high school is when I met up with some of the friends in Mantis. And they caught me delivering pizzas up in the neighborhood. And they're like, hey, you still screaming? I'm like, two months of high school. I'm like, no, I'm going to college, man. Like... I don't do any of that. And they're like, well, stop by, we're going to jam. And that's kind of when Mantis fell into place was, uh, I mean, two months out of high school, just a bunch of friends that were in different punk and hardcore bands that just got together and played some music in a garage. And, and you know, the rest is history. So it was kind of cool how that fell into place. <clears throat> so you mentioned, you know, something that I think is important for a lot of development of, you know, musical taste, but also bands is the local scene. You know, you mentioned it in there that, you know, you started going to shows early. Was it also a local scene where you were seeing, you know, obviously you'd get the big name bands come through town. That's a standard. You know, sure. everyone gets that. Uh, but were you seeing local area bands that were getting out of the state? Were you seeing artists that you could look to and say, well, they're doing it. I can do it. I mean, Riverside wasn't really known for, a, you know, we weren't like a Connecticut or a Buffalo or an LA or Orange County. So, our, our main bands that made it out of uh, our neighborhood was like Alien Amp Farm, mm. um, uh, a band called Voodoo Glow Skulls, mm -hmm. and unfortunately, another band, Cottonmouth Kings. And those were three <laughs> completely different genres. So as far as the metal scene, we had to pave our own way. Mm -hmm. um, it, wasn't, it wasn't really accepted to try and get gigs. Like, oh, what kind of music are you? And we're like, oh, it's heavy metal. Like, you know, they'd steer away from it. No one wanted us to play the, the mom and pop pizza shop and scream it, you know, in front of their crowd. So... It was tough for us. Um, we did get great advice from the guys from Ant Farm. They were good people. And, you know, most of the guys are metalheads themselves. So um, I wouldn't say paved the way or, or led us anywhere, helped us with anything or, you know, gave us shows. But, you know, we followed some of their business advice, which at 21, you could take it or leave it. So, um, but yeah, completely different scene for us. Um, as far as the metal scene, we, we didn't really have one. We didn't have a hardcore scene. It was just a bunch of, people from high schools and whatever just getting drunk and listening to music man so yeah it was it was a little difficult getting off the ground in in that aspect so well i mean <laughs> you know uh, anyone listening cottonmouth kings were like the the white trash <laughs> version of icp if i remember correctly like that's yeah wow yeah. i didn't i never knew where they were from but to know they were from there like that's a truth, yeah. that's a truth. <laughs> yeah. they're from the empire man yeah they're <laughs> I, I believe a few I'm, I'm probably the same age as you i, I just turned 39 so mm -hmm. I believe they're, you know, a few years um, older than us, but yeah, completely different scene. Mm, uh, they mm. were a completely different scene. So oh yeah, they're, they're... we couldn't really go for them to advice. No, um, you mentioned in there about <laughs> the high school years, and then you know when you kind of linked up with Mantis was you know college years. Now, without jumping too far forward, you know, I know your career now what it is, and it's it's fitness centered and it's wellness centered. Sure. So, I mean, yep. <clears throat> what were you studying and had you at that point completely abandoned music as uh, a prospect? Yeah, um, I was only going to college for the general education purposes. Mm -hmm. At the time of Mantis, when I when I started, I was I was like a manager at a pizza local little pizza place and working with five of my good friends. And uh, like I said, it was two months out of high school. 
I just happened to be making deliveries and uh, Clint, my bass player, who's still the bass player, and then an ex-guitar player, uh, Matt, who uh, lost his life a couple years ago. So, mm. you know, rest in peace to him. He had the Mantis tattoo, great guy. Um, but yeah, they just happened to pull up next to me and they just had asked, Hey, you know, like I mentioned, are you still screaming? Do you want to scream? And I'm like, Oh man, I'm going to go to college. And I didn't have any real like direction of where I was going. I knew I still loved music. It was just finding that the timing, which that was it. So fast forward just a little bit, you know, I ended up registering for, for college and, um, I think I made it two weeks to finals and, uh, me and Clint both were taking some of the same classes and we dropped out like two or three weeks before finals to go hit the road. <laughs> we did a, a short little trip to like Arizona and somewhere else. So we dropped out of college and, you know, thank God we did. Yeah. So, yeah mean, there's no real direction in college. <clears throat> no, I mean, and it's also, you know, an interesting, it's the crossroads moment. You gotta, you gotta have that roll of the dice moment of if I don't give it a shot now, it never will. Um, and sure. that can't be easy also to decide, especially that close to finals. Yeah. And it wasn't, but like I said, I, there was no real, I couldn't even tell you the classes I took, man. It was a waste of time, but um, yeah, I didn't have, I didn't have any direction, but once we knew we were getting a little bit bigger in, in the local scene, that's when it was like, all right, we got something here. You know, we were headlining shows of five bands at 19 years old, you know? So um, that's when we started making the name for ourselves. The crowd started showing up, started selling our, our albums, t-shirts, our, our merchandise. So we knew we had something kind of going and we just had to, to go all in. Now those, those early years you're mentioning in there want to, you know, give listeners some insight into that. So, you know, you're obviously a band that were working hard at it because you obviously knew that, you know, sometimes people forget that you have to build a fan base. You can't just go out there sure. and be a headliner straight away. So what were you guys like in the early years? Was it a case of you guys trying to get on shows or were shows getting offered to you based off shows you played? Like what were the early years like with shows? We just, at that point, I mean, we'd played just about anywhere. I mm. mean, um, skate demos, um, any kind of like banquets or events or nightclubs or real venues. So I think we were playing Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays at that time. It was a full-time thing. Um, shit basically playing for beer it was kind of what <laughs> our motto was we were just party boys that just liked playing and, and having fun with our our friends but um yeah and then we started getting recognized um we did uh i mean this is before the battle frost fest but we landed a gig at an mtv campus invasion when they'd go to all the universities mm -hmm. throughout the country i forget how we got that i think we had a manager a local manager at that time and that was with um it was the used God, this band called Finch, who was out of Temecula, oh, they, they yes. made a big little bit. You remember yeah. Finch? Yeah. And uh, and the Vandals. Wow. And it was just such a, for us to be playing that, it was just such a different demographic of people. And, you know, you got all these university preppy kids, and then you've got the used and Finch and Mantis. So, but we, we did great. Uh, we played in front of a few thousand people. And then from there, it just kept growing. Um, we then got invited on a show with, um, God, who headlined? Do you remember the band Flaw? Yeah, yeah, new metal is so, hell. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. coming back around too, which is kind of crazy. Right. But cool. yeah, it was a bit, at, at that time, I think this was 2003. They were huge. Mm. I mean, they were just getting to that peak. It was them, El Nino, and a band called Forty Below Summer. Oh, that's all new metal. Band. That's all new. Yeah, metal. Yeah, dude. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. And not to age myself, but yeah, we opened up for for those three bands, and God, the venue was it was one of the biggest venues we'd played with like six thousand people, sold out. You know, wall to wall, and um, from there, it just kept kept booming so yeah that was kind of a big break for us 
Style-wise, you know, an interesting thing is in this time frame you're mentioning we've got, you know, we've got the end of new metal and it's just starting to slowly fade out. We've got the, I won't want to, don't want to call it emo core, but those bands like Finch and that were, you know, on the emo sure. side of things. And you guys were doing metalcore, but, you know, I think a lot of listeners think metalcore with, you know, the Killswitch style choruses. That's what, wasn't what you guys did or do. And it well, was more on the hard edge side of things. Well, what's, what's kind of funny about that is when Mantis originated, there's four of us. Um, and then we, we went on to get a second guitar player. And um, at that time we brought in a second vocalist. So I was doing the screaming and he was doing the singing. And at that time it wasn't really popular. I think one of the only bands in our genre was Poison the Well. Hmm. And uh, we had just started hearing about them a little bit after we we started. So we would play and people would tell us like, um, you know, as fans of like hate breeds and, you know, this heavy metal scene that was taken off in 03. Um, and my vocals, we were kind of pushing away. We're like, you know, no one's doing this. We don't need a second vocalist. The soft stuff is for pussies. Like, <laughs> you know, this is dumb. Um, and we ended up uh, parting ways with the vocalist and I just became the full screamer. And then that's when it kind of got dialed in and we started writing heavier riffs like Sleeping in Your Grave and going that direction. Cause we were doing three and a half, four and a half minute songs with the other vocalists, whereas like the verse, chorus, verse, chorus, breakdown, chorus, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and we laugh all the time because, you know, you know, fast forward to 2005, 2006 is when all these metalcore bands started coming out with the soft vocals and making it. We're like, damn, we were a little, little too early for that scene, but um, it worked out for, for the best for us. So um, yeah, man. That's a trip, dude. Like two vocalists too. Like, I mean that, I mean, you think back a lot of the new metal bands had the two vocalists, but you know, the metalcore bands that started doing it or were doing it eventually, it was one of the <clears throat> guitarists or the bass player that was doing sure. it. So that's a bit sure. different too. Yeah. I think it was, um, I can't even think of them now. Oh, we came as Romans. They're a prime mm. example of the two vocalists scene and they, mm. they did it very well, you know, rest in peace to, to the, mm. the the singer but um yeah and that wasn't even so I, I don't think they broke out to what 2008 or 9 or somewhere around there yeah at least if i'm not mistaken, yeah. maybe yeah. so yeah. yeah looking back you know we we made a band decision to do it but i think it, i think it worked out for the best yeah i mean you 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 go back and you listen to the music and you know probably thank god you didn't stick with the the clean i mean there is a little bit of melody on that album but i wouldn't say it's yeah. a, a soaring yeah. melody of kill switch style or no. stuff it's 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 grindy gritty um metalcore which is you know part of what i love now the stuff that we when we're working on this the sophomore album right when we released with century media um we end up doing a a full album with christian of uh, fear factory he kind of took us by the by the wings and helped us out and got us in a couple different studios we we laid down all the tracks and you know it's looking back i don't really remember what had happened, but we had a good 12, we still have a good 12 songs that are basically a jigsaw puzzle. We just never put it together and mixed it. We just kind of just let it go. So, and that had D-Rock, which was our newest guitar player, the kid's so talented. Um, he's got a different kind of vocal to him um, where we're going to lay down some tracks, but it's more of a, um, uh, I don't know who to compare him to. But there's a lot more melodies on on the newer stuff, 
which we're still kind of working on. We've got that, not to fast forward, but we've got the show coming up in a few months. And I think we're going to try and write about three to four songs for this and then eventually get in the studio by the end of the year. Ooh, okay. So, and you'll hear, you'll hear a little bit more of um, the melodic side of Mantis, which would be nice. Okay. Well, we definitely have to come back to that because there are a few little stories in there I want to pick apart. But the, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> the, the, the next step in the kind of story that I discovered is the, I don't know if some people remember, some people may remember that are listening, MTV at this time were booming with, you know, they had started doing reality shows, but they were booming with Headbangers Ball. They were really getting shows out there for the alternative scene. And they did a show called Battle for Ozfest, which was encapsulating it simply. It was, uh, I think it was like 10, maybe more members from different bands, but they weren't from the same band. So it was one guy from one band, one girl from this band, et cetera, et cetera. And they went through a week by week process to eventually get down to the final three and whoever won got a contract. So it was a reality show like American Idol, but with heavy metal guys. But the, the elimination process was also stupid. Like I remember that they had to do something with Zach Wilde and you had to convince him to get his jacket or some shit. And if you didn't, you got evicted from the show. It was weird. So the question I'm long-windedly getting to was, how did you first discover that MTV was doing Battle for Ozfest? Um, I'll, I'll take you back from where we just left off and then how we got to that point. So it was uh, 2003. I don't even know if you know this, but I was in a, a horrific car accident. Um, I was uh, on my way to the river with some family, no seatbelt. The truck had rolled three times, going 70 miles an hour. Um, at the moment, we landed upright, and I was fully conscious. I just felt like I had whiplash, and I was trying to get out of the truck, and um, you know, the, the truck door couldn't open. So my buddy behind me just said, hey, sit still. We'll call 911. We'll get high patrol out here. So I sat in that truck for a good 30 minutes or so until they arrived. They had to do the jaws of life, put me on the stretcher, laid me out on the street for I think it was like 45 minutes they were going to air vac me because they thought at that time it was pretty serious. And I'm still sitting there, let me go. You know, I just want a beer. Get me out of here. I got to get to the lake. And, um, yeah, they, they bring me into the hospital. I go in for my MRI, and uh, they had noticed I, I broke my C4 and C6. Ooh. So at, at that moment, they, uh, they then transferred me to a, a bigger facility where I underwent a 12-hour procedure. They took some bone graft out of my hip you know, fuse the, the joints. And, um, they said I was about a hairline away from being paralyzed from, from the neck down. Um, the thing that, that screwed me up was they went through my front vocal cords. They paralyzed my left side vocal cord. They asked me what I did for a living. I was like, Oh, I'm a screamer. They told me I'd never scream again, that I'll never get a voice back. And I'm like, at that point, it's like, you might as well kill me. Like, what am I going to do? And this is right when, you know, we, we made as big as we could in our, in our area. We had toured a little bit just throughout California and Arizona and we were taking that next step. So, um, I get out of the hospital neck brace. I'm out for six months, no voice, uh, get the neck brace off, uh, full movement. Obviously, as you can tell, um, it's, it's a bit of a miracle when I met people with the same break, they were all paralyzed. Uh, the nurses, doctors, no one ever seen a recovery like mine. Um, and then one day my drummer just happened to call me. And I pick up the phone and I'm like, hello. He's like, you know, is Jake there? I'm like, this is Jake. And he's like, shut up. Like, he didn't believe it. He's like, Jake, your voice. I'm like, my voice. I'm like, call the boys. Let's jam. <laughs> so 
at this point they had been jamming a little bit, just, you know, still getting together. Hope, you know, we all had some hope. So I get up there and, you know, I start screaming away and it didn't even skip a beat. Almost came back. That's when I was introduced to my highs. Cause all of a sudden I got these, you know, Bruce Dickinson, like high notes where I'm like the three inches of blood type stuff. I'm like, <laughs> this is awesome. So, um, it was that same night I said, I, I had met uh, a good friend of ours, Joey from up North who, uh, did a lot of tours and booked for a lot of local bands and stuff. And I remember him telling me if I got my voice back to give him a call and he'll set up a, a full month tour for us. And so I told the band, Hey, um, I want to set up a tour. I'm shooting for like, you know, a month out. It's time. We got to, This is my second calling. And that's where the name Second Life came from. Mm. That's where the song Second Head came from was it was my second chance to do what I wanted, you know, that I loved. So one of my guitar players, um, he couldn't tour. He wasn't about it. He wanted to stay local. And that's where Dare, our, our guitar player, came in, um, called him up. He was at the house the next day. We jammed for a few weeks and did our first tour up north. So fast forward to the Battle for Ozfest, um, we were going up to the Tacoma, Washington kind of area uh, quite frequently, and we were doing a show up in Seattle, and we got a call from our tour manager, Jeff's dad, who said, hey, you know, I came across this thing that Battle for Ozfest is happening, and they're doing it at the Palladium, but it's it's in two days, and we're smack dab in the middle of a, a tour. And I'm like, absolutely not. We're not, we're not going. We have to finish this tour. That's dumb. Like, we're not doing some MTV bullshit. Like, you know, like that's that's not our thing. And uh, one of the guys just said, Hey, this this might be a good opportunity for us. Um, let's just drive down there and see. So we drove the 33 hours straight, slept in the Palladium parking lot. Uh, woke up the next day and jumped in line. There's 10,000 people walking on LA of every different genre of music. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like there's no way we're going to get this. And we didn't know any of the infrastructure at that point or what it was about. So we just ran the motions. We went in, they called us back for the second one, call us back for the third one. Then uh, we got a, a videotape sent to our, our band house. And it was Ozzy and Sharon basically congratulating us that we made it to this TV show. And, you know, one of the members is going to leave that day. And we're like, you know, they had us all packed. We didn't know who was going. We didn't know if we were all going. So, yeah, being a dare, <clears throat> they took him, and, you know, we didn't talk to him for quite some time, and then we just had to follow the motions. But for the most part, a lot of that, it, it, that's not what it seemed like when we were filming it. It wasn't, it didn't seem as corny or cheeseball or, like, the road rule, real rule challenge. Mm. Um, but all said and done, um, once a dare got the opportunity, and then we came out and we got to play the Florida Ozfest in front of, I think that day was, like, thirty or 50,000 people. It was, it was one of the highest... And I mean, we're, we get one chance to play one song and Mantis is right before Slayer, Judas Priest and Black Sabbath. And it's like, what's happening? You know, and that for me, that was the most surreal moment. I didn't care about winning the show. I didn't care about the show or the publicity at that point. It was, I just, I just hit the metal gods. Like this was, <laughs> this was heaven for me. You know what I mean? Like who gets that opportunity? So uh, when all said and done, Dozen Furies end up winning uh, however, we got the contract with uh, Sharon Osborne as our manager, and then from there just went on to to get some more opportunities like Century Media, um, and do it that way. So it was it was uh, it was quite the experience, but a little mm. cheeseball in my eyes. But I, I wouldn't change it for the world. You know, if we had to do it again, I'd do the same thing over. Yeah, it was quite. You know, it was like I said earlier about how big MTV was at that stage. I'm not saying MTV's not now, but the 
the sure. launch pad that it created for the band was insane. Now, before I ask a couple other questions about Ozfest, now I remember I haven't gone back and looked at it. I was thinking about looking at it this week, but I forgot. Now, on that second last episode, they had you. Uh, guys play a song. They show Dozen Furies play a song, and I can't remember the other band um, play a song. Did you get a bloody nose, or did you accidentally punch yourself in the face? <laughs> I did both. <laughs> so I'm not sure if you've ever been to Florida during the summer. You're from Australia, so yeah, the, no. the humidity there is out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, I was screaming to every MTV producer backstage, every Ozfest polo shirt wearing dick and jane like i needed alcohol like i mean i can hear a crowd i know we're about to play before slayer we get one song i have nowhere to warm up so i get up on stage and the minute i start screaming i get a bloody nose i'm like i look like the most ridiculous bitch right now with the bloody nose on national television in front of these forty thousand people so i did the most metal thing i could think of and punched the shit out of my nose just so it looked like you know, I don't, I don't know. In that moment, that just, it seemed like the thing to do. And uh, that's probably the most uh, memorable thing out of most fans that have talked to me like, you got that bloody nose on MTV Battle Frost Fest. I'm like, yeah. And like, you punch yourself. That was so metal. And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> it was a little bit of both, man. It was, it was super embarrassing, but. No, 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 no. I remember, I remember seeing it because at this stage of the show playing, I was, you know, trying to watch it every week. And if I wasn't, I mean, there was a thing called a VHS, so I was recording it. Kids, you mightn't remember what these things were, but I was recording the show, and I remember I liked Mantis and A Dozen Furies, but the fact that you did a show with a bloody nose and I didn't know how it happened just made things a little tougher. And it was like, okay, okay. And then it was gutted to see you guys yeah. not get the contract. So I always wanted to ask, you know, yeah. how did that come about? Cause that, um, cause I remember the way they cut that. I, I should have gone back and looked at it, but they showed you with the bloody nose, but then they didn't yeah. tend to come back and show you so much until like the second half of the song. I think if you look back now, cause it wasn't too long ago, somebody popped that video for me and you can see, I, I don't know which member it is either Clint or Dare. And you could see me in the background, just like with the wireless mic, just give my like, it's not full front camera, but you can just see it really quick. Cause I turned around and I'm like, Oh my God, dude. And I was like, boom, just, you know, <laughs> screw it. And then there's a shot where I'm doing the high pitch. It was on a new breed of life. And I'm like kneeling down. You could just see the blood like gushing. And I was like, man, that actually came out kind of cool. So <laughs> it is. I mean, I'm 23 years old on a on an MTV reality show, like playing before Slayer. I mean, I didn't really care. No, and it looks metal as fuck, as you said. So. It did. It did. You know what I mean? Good thing I had a black shirt on and not a white one. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so you know, go back a little bit about the uh, the show. Um, this one thing I thought was a bit strange for me was that there was the little profile shown at the very first episode of what each band was and what the member did in the band. But nobody really knew stylistically what any of these guys were linked to. So you didn't know that Adair was from a metalcore band or anything. Um, Yeah. So did you feel like, you know, obviously it didn't harm you guys, but did you feel like it wasn't even really giving you a spotlight if you had gone out week two? No, I mean, again, the guys that were producing the show weren't metal fans. They mm. were the same. It was the same crew guys from Real World and mm. the Road Rules and all that bullshit. So they didn't know 
they didn't know anything about anyone or, or anything in the subscription. I know Sharon was part um, producer on the show, but really I don't think they had the uh, the Zoom weekly meetings to update what, what the hell was really going on. It was the first of its kind. So I think they just played it as is, like every episode was a little different. Um, but yeah, we didn't know it was going to be such a, um, I guess, game show type mm. fucking feel if that's the best way to put it while, while we were filming and talking to Adair while he was out on the road doing the house fest, that, that was a cool part. They had their own bus. They followed the members. They would sit there and watch set up. They would go meet with the other bands. They got the opportunity to, I think um, Mark from a dozen furies got to play with unearth. Adair played with the guys, the darkest hour. So that was probably the most metal part of it. Um, that, and um, what was the episode? The acoustic. Um there was the acoustic one too that was cool. Yeah, but like the the biting the bat off the head bullshit mm. and the ceiling Zach Wilde's jacket, that was all just cheesy, man. That was just horrible entertainment, dude. It was it was so, like <laughs> it was like jackass meets real world at moments. And dude, I think was... I think they forgot that, you know, these were members of, you know, heavy music bands because until the last episode or second last episode, there was no real care about the music that these people well, played. And that's and that's where you know coming into the the mainstream and and getting the opportunity to play with like the unearths and the the all the remains and the mad balls and the terrors and really showing them like hey we're a fucking real band they didn't just put us back to, you know, like a Backstreet Boys and throw us on MTV like I think us and Dozen Furies might have been the only two out of those eight bands that actually toured you know mm. we had we went through two vans we went through fucking no we piled eight guys in a van and starved and and did we did what we needed to, to survive. We just happened to get a lucky break on MTV. So I think a lot of the fans and the real hardcore kids, you know, didn't get to see that part of it. There, there's no history of the band that I broke my neck prior to the show. You know, we toured for two years. We were on this, this old website called garage band at number mm. one. I mean, we did, we did our duty as, as a, the punk rock shit. We made paper flyers and handed out our CDs just like anybody else. So um, that at, Saying it that way, that's that's they didn't show history of the bands or like what got them to that point. It was just like, oh, here's this band, we made them and enjoy them. You know, it's almost like we are puppets. So and that 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 was the shitty part of it. I think one thing that that people need to forget or maybe forget is that we're also talking about a time when Ozfest was fucking huge. Like this tour um, was the be all and end all in heavy music. So I don't think anyone can blame any band to roll the dice and go look. You know, I don't know what this is about. Let's have a go at it because Ozfest. There were bands that were paying to get on Ozfest at this time. So this 100%. is this is a huge opportunity for anyone that's unsigned. And as you said, you guys had reached a, a point, and you're trying to go to the next point. And yeah. you get to the final three, and you mention in there that you get um, you get Mrs. Osborne as your management. Did she help link up you guys to Century Media? Because that's, you know, that's a big move getting to Century Media. Yeah. Um, there was nothing on the show of, of what our uh, the post-show uh, reward was or whatever it was. We were just sitting back going, okay, now what do we do? Do we just mm. go home and book a fucking show and, you know, use our name, you know, just to, to get out there? And when we got the phone call... Um, you know, it was it was some of her people, our old manager, uh, John Fenton, who I believe still might work with Ozzy and Sharon. He actually called us. We went and met. We went to Ozzy and Sharon's office in, in L.A. And um, she wasn't really doing much but collecting checks from us and royalties and, and just setting up. Because every band that 
I believe auditioned, which I don't remember the number of auditions. Everyone had to basically sign their life away to Ozzy and Sharon, regardless of what they did. And the numbers, as you could probably imagine, weren't very good. I mean, mm-hmm. we would have been making, I think, a penny off every dollar, some bullshit <laughs> like that. So when Fenton, um, you know, had talked to Sharon, him and a, a gentleman by the name of Blasco, um, bass player for Ozzy, um, uh, Rob Zombie, he was he was huge at that point. Um, they both we became really good friends with those guys, and they they took us over from Ozzy and Sharon, and um, they set us up, and they actually were friends with some of the guys from Central Media. Uh, we did a show, no label, no management, at the House of Blues shortly after the TV show in Anaheim. And it's a it's a big, big venue. And we ended up selling that out. We had went into the studio ourselves, made our own album uh, through a gentleman named Cameron Webb in Orange County. So we put up all the money. We did the CD design. And we just said, screw it. We're going to do this on our own. And when we played this House of Blues, it was kind of like the CD release party. And we fucking, I mean, we sold that place out quick. And that's when we had a lot of the labels come and look at us and go, okay, these fucking kids are, are the for real deal, you know? So we had a couple different offers come to us and Century Media and Mize at that time was our best bet. Um, you know, the, the lineup and roster mm-hmm. from Century Media, especially in those days, Shadows Fall, God forbid, the list goes on. Um, that was it. That's where we wanted to be. So uh, we took the chance with them and it, it worked out great. And they're the ones who actually just stamped their name on the album. We didn't even go back in studio. They loved everything we did on our own. They just stamped it and, and produced it. So it was it was a good feeling. And that album you talk about is Sleep in Your Grave, which um, I've, I've still got, but all my CDs are in the garage now. I only have vinyl in my room. Um, and it's a fucking <clears throat> banger of a fucking album. Like, that's Thank also you. got to feel like a tip of the cap that, you know, this label comes in and you hear all these horror stories of telling artists that they need to do X, Y, and Z to the album, and they just come in and say, look, that's fine. Here's the logo. Get it out. Yeah. Like, they didn't do – they didn't touch one bit, not the artwork, not the – we didn't have to redo vocals on anything. I mean, it was said and done all 29 minutes of that beautiful album. So, yeah, that was uh, – for us – coming into a record label without having to go spend money on a record. I, I believe like, you know, some of the, the bonus and it, it paid for itself because we got that album done so cheap um, for the production and quality we got. Um, it, it was a win-win for both of us. So that, that was a blessing. Yeah. I think the version I got, which I think was an international version came, it was, and this is going to trip some listeners. It was a multimedia version. So you put it in the computer and I think it had one or two. Yeah. The, it, it, yeah, it had like the enhanced, yeah, the enhanced CD or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah that, that was a big deal for us. Yeah, well, that was a big deal back then because I don't think anyone does that anymore. So that that's a relic unto itself that that has that. Hundred percent, and it was nice too because having that album done so quick, you know, we didn't have to go in the studio for six months after signing. It was there like they stamped it, produced it, and we got to. They took some of those songs like the Axe Redemption and and put it on all their samplers. So. Mm. Everything was said and done. We just started touring. And from there, it was just 200-something shows a year for the next three or four years. I think we did straight. So, I mean, obviously, you're saying there, it got you, you know, there was twofold. It was the MTV circus was working for you, but also this material with the label, with what you guys do, was working for you. So, obviously, the next few years, you guys were on the ground running. And were you seeing a sense of the sacrifice and blood, sweat and tears start to be rewarded in front of you with fans, with merch sales, things like this? Like, how was those few years? Yeah, um, 
I mean, obviously, and it's still like this today, you, you got those internet trolls. So mm. we had a lot of those before we'd get on these, you know, that's when Blabbermouth was was real big. Um, the Revolver, all those forms, that's when forms were a big deal. And, you know, I remember looking back, we'd, we'd get the opportunity, like we did the Hapery 10-year anniversary. And so many people were like, oh, these guys don't deserve it and this and that. And they would talk shit. And I would just be like, all right, cool. I'll see you at the show. I'll buy you a beer, you know, mm. or vice versa. We'd get out there and we'd have people come up after the show and go, hey, man, I was the one that wrote, you know, I apologize. You guys were fucking awesome. You guys killed it. So it, it took them to see us actually get out there. They wanted us to get up on stage like the wind up toys and, mm. you know, the monkey and the drums <laughs> fall over like that thing you do. And the, the guitar breaks, you know, they're waiting for just trauma to happen. And, you know, we get up there and just fuck it up. And um, I think that the bands we open for too, like the hate breeds and these bigger bands I mentioned, they saw it too. Like, all right, these guys, you know, obviously know how to live on the road. They're not these prima donna fucking made up pussies. So that, that was cool to, to prove them wrong and, and be the underdog, you know? <clears throat> yeah, I think I think it definitely you guys wore the underdog tag in a good way, not as in a chip on the shoulder way. And you could see that with the music because you know I'm not gonna knock a dozen Furies, but they were the more accessible style of the metalcore that was popular at that time. You guys were the more sure. grittier style, but you guys seemed to, as you said, you know, you weren't um, just riding on the coattails of some success. You guys yeah. were working hard, but. It was interesting because you guys worked at it for quite a few years before you got the album out. Then you work at sure. it with the album out. And then as a fan, it just felt like it was like, where the fuck? Yeah. Where did Mantis fucking go? Like it was. Uh, yeah. um, and then I know <laughs> down the track 2014 or 13, you kind of reappeared on social media when social media became a, a different thing instead of MySpace. But you mentioned yeah. earlier about an album you did. With Christian of Fear Factory fame. So is this the album that infamously um, you guys were going to release as your sophomore and then didn't? Sure. We were we were playing around with the ideas of a couple labels. Um, finished the album. Um, I think at that point we were just kind of burnt. We had brought our old drummer back in to do some stuff, but there wasn't talk of touring with him. So it was kind of like, well, if we're not going to tour with this album, what the fuck do we do? Um, and we were just at that point burnt. We just were... It was almost like we were we were gonna fight for something we you know that all of us weren't seeing eye to eye at you know half of us wanted a tour and half of us didn't so it's like well why are we gonna put out this fucking masterpiece if we can't go back it up you know Instagram and Facebook weren't even a thing I think this was like what 2007 2008 and the album was finished and it was like what do we do do we shop it because if we shop it the label's gonna go all right let's go on tour and then we have to go find another member to come. You know, through that, that's what a lot of people didn't see too is, I mean, we went through, I think four or five members, um, you know, through the point of my broken neck until the OzFest thing. So we lost a drummer halfway between uh, the Hapery tour. Our drummer just at the time was like, hey guys, my grandma passed away, I gotta go home. We're like halfway into a Hapery tour. We're on the East Coast. I'm like, what? What do you, what are you, where are you going, dude? I mean, we had our bus, we had everything, everything was paid for. And uh, a lot of people don't even know, but Adair filled in on drums. He went from <laughs> guitar to then, I think it was that night, he left in the morning and we had sound check in like two hours. I'm like, 
Adair's like, fuck it, I'll do it. I'll play drums. So a lot of people don't know, Adair and D-Rock are both phenomenal drummers. So Adair gets up there, and fucking we finish the Hatebreed tour with Adair playing drums. Ah. So, and that, and that's that's the punk rock shit right there. That's what a lot of people, <laughs> I think we earned a lot of respect then, because people, you know, most bands would pack up and go home. The drummer's mm. the backbeat, dude. It's either the vocalist and the drummer, what the fuck do you do now, you know, with that, with that kind of time. So, um he had to go back with Christian, man. Um, he was super busy with stuff he was doing. So as much as he was going to help us out and shop, he had his own stuff to do. So we couldn't make him work 10 times harder to start looking for new members. And do, we can't be like, hey, um, you know, we can finish this, but we're not going on tour. He would probably be like, fuck you, dudes. Are you kidding? So it was um, it was a tough, tough decision, man. So we just kind of just let the dust settle, I guess. That's how you could say it. So that that album, you know, I always do a little bit of looking back, and there's around floating around. There was even a title for the album, "Master of Ceremonies." Yeah. I think you guys. That's were... one. That's that's probably one of the only songs that we ended up mastering and mixing from the jigsaw puzzle, <clears throat> and then we actually did a video for it. And that's when we kind of were like, "Hey, okay, let's put this shit out and let's see, you know, what kind of reaction we get." And then we did that, and I, dude, I couldn't even tell you, man. It just it seems like such a blur through mm-hmm. that stage of you know, trying to, to rebuild ourselves. And then we did it and then just was like, but we're not going on tour. You know, I don't want to get in the van or I don't want to, you know, and so we just would get excited, do this. And all of a sudden it's like, well, now what do you do? So, so I mean, so obviously you, you recorded a whole album, as you're saying, and mm-hmm. you, so you only mixed and mastered one song or did, was everything mixed and mastered? Because it's all pretty... I mean, if I have to remember, it's it's all pretty rough, but when we got it from the engineer at the time, because we did the drums locally in Corona, and then we did the guitars at Christian's, and then we did the vocals in an apartment in Hollywood. I mean, it was just, it was the most punk rock thing we could do. So we had all these different pieces, and the last gentleman who was doing my vocals had everything, but he ended up going like MIA, or I, I can't remember exactly what happened. So we got all these pieces back, and everything was just like thrown around. So it wasn't like, it was like the drum tracks were mixed with something else. I'm like, fuck dude, this is going to take a long time to, to, you know, Fix. mix. And, and so the files were just screwed up. And I think that's what threw us off. And when we had master, that was almost the only thing that was like a complete version. So I had to do a couple scratch tracks and some backups and, and then we just mixed it. And that one came out first. Cause that was the heaviest song on the album. So we're like, fuck it. Let's just, let's just throw this bang around and see what happens. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a good song in my eyes. I like it. Yeah, I like it too. I'm just I'm just bummed out that you you guys basically had a a whole album, um, you know, and then it never saw the light of day. You know, it, it's quite a weird feeling. You know, when you're a fan of a band, and then they release an album you love, and then you hear there's yeah. something that could come out, and then it's just like what nothing came out, and then you're just like sitting there going, you know, did you ever at any stage think, okay? Yeah, it's like 2014 or something, and you think, look, let's just try and get this shit together and just release it independently. Did you ever think about doing that? We did, man. We we really did, but that's where we still weren't steady with the with the members at the time. Everyone's, I mean, I was having my my first daughter. My Clint was having it. He had a daughter. Uh, Clint ended up going to MI to do video stuff. He's the one that that directed and produced the Master Ceremonies video on YouTube. Um, and we did. I mean, we're all still best friends. We talk every fucking day. I mean, especially now we've we've got a show coming up in August. We didn't get to play anything in 2020, which should have been our time to be like, hey, we got nothing to do. Everything's closed. Let's finish a fucking <laughs> album. But there's the assholes in us that just didn't do it, man. But I mean, for for a band to still be as close as they are and 
still not get some some workouts pretty pathetic man and i'm I'm disappointed with myself for not finishing this album personally because obviously i screamed for many 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 days on this and it was it wasn't your sleep in your grave you know vocals it was it was fucking hard vocals so um that's where i think we owe it to ourselves this year that you know we booked our show for august uh we met up last week kind of got the dust off the equipment and i threw out a couple teasers on um the instagram page but um i think we're actually serious about this time about writing some new some new tunes and um now with technology and with the stuff that we have at the house our band house um we're able to record this stuff jimmy's got his mics on the drums you know we've got the the mics all set up adair's got a new uh, uh pedal board that doesn't even need the tube it goes straight in so um you know i'm not too tacky when it comes to the, the audio stuff but we have an easier way to to not have to go to three different places to record an album now we can do it in the comfort of our band house which we've had for over 20 years which is nice so uh with that being said i think we're taking a little bit more serious uh, i still don't think we'll tour but some <laughs> some some live events you know some some more of the bigger bigger um I can festivals and stuff like that. We've talked about agreeing to do if, if the opportunity comes. So yeah, we'd love to maybe find an independent label that would be willing to work with us and um, do it that way, or just do it ourselves and just throw it out on the internet. You know, most of these bands these days, which I'm noticing on Spotify is they put out one single and then they'll wait a couple months and they put out one single and then they go another couple months. Um, so like spirit box mm. i mean i think they they don't even have a full album on spotify yet still do they i think it's no they they've got these little teasers yeah they've got you know from like 2019 they've got all the singles they released in it's called the singles collection i think literally today they announced that the, the album will okay. come out next year but i think three or four of them have been released over the last year and a half as singles so you're right it's it's a weird world i'm now. noticing a lot of yeah I'm, i noticed a lot of bands are doing that now which mm. is smart so we may we may take that that approach, excuse me. We may take that approach and do it that way, which would be easier and less pressure. You know, we definitely aren't going to announce anything because um, we did that last time, and everyone's like, "What the fuck is this album? It's been ten years." And, you know, it's cool to have fans still hit. I mean, just yesterday, I got you know hit up. Hey, I found your old CD. I watched Battle Frost, and that's that's fucking cool because as a fan of music, you know, I feel the same way. And now it's like we have to deliver. And it's mm. time to deliver. So yeah, well, you've got we'll a you've got a you've got a dude here in Australia. I'm yeah, it could be the only Aussie, but I'm just like yeah. Well, first album was 2005. I've been patiently yeah. waiting like <laughs> quite a while now. What 16 years? Yeah, dude, patient. And that's I mean, when you wrote me, I read it. I'm like, ah, you know, what's the point, dude? Like, unless I'm doing something, then. Um, I think that's when I wrote back and I'm like, I thought about, it. I talked to Adair, Adair is actually going to join me today, but he was out in Malibu recording. He's got a couple of different projects going and he's like, fuck it, just do it, man. Like that, that will, that will set some motivation and, and answer some questions. You know, like you said, if it's four people listening or 400, um, they could just hear the story now and just be like, all right, these guys haven't just been sitting back doing nothing. <laughs> we played every year for these six yeah. years. You know what I mean? We, yeah. we play at least one, you know, given most of them are like benefit shows and memorials for friends or family that pass, um, we'll still book a show. 2020 was the only year we haven't played. So um, this show in August is, it means a lot to us. Yeah. I mean, the, the part of the reason why I started to do this is because it was a way to get stories out of bands that some people may have, you know, not discovered or go, wow, I remember that band. And I like talking to bands and people like yourself who 
You don't have to be pushing a tour or pushing a new EP. You, the story is still exciting because the story still needs to be heard because the, the music is worth being heard. And that's the thing. Whether this gets to, you know, we have several thousand very religious listeners, it gets to all of them or it only gets to four of them, at least for me, I know that my love for that album is going to spread to someone else and you'll gain another listener or a few or a few thousand. So I think it's fucking worth sure. it. So that's why I hit you up, man, because I spent forever trying to fucking find you because I couldn't fucking find you um, and then found you. Um, so I made sure I reached out. I'm still, I'm still surprised it's on so many platforms. I mean, I was stoked to see it on Spotify. I'm like, how the how how are we on spotify you know um, and the, i forget the new one that adair just told me about i feel like oh man this this new platform of music right here but he <laughs> said that our full album's on that too and i'm like mm. dude i've never even heard of this you know and i guess it's the net i think it's like jay-z's new yeah um yeah i forgot the I name of it no. right. yeah but we're on there too and i'm like I, I, it's cool to still to still be on those things because a lot of people you know that they hear of us from that so well, I think, you know, I've, I've got the CD and I've, uh, I was one, you know, I've got, I still use iTunes on my computer. So everything I have on CD is ripped on there. And then you guys are on my Spotify as well. So, I mean, yeah. um, you know, I love it, you know, um, but I'm not quite done with you because I want to ask one or two uh, questions. One is, okay. yeah, we talk about, you do play the occasional show and yeah. It's important that some people realize that, yes, I think you you are being serious and genuine, but I think you're also downplaying it. They're, they're just benefit shows. You know, you played with bloody yeah. Byron Bay's finest uh, Parkway Drive not too long ago. I mean... I was, in, that was, I was actually going to bring them up, man. Um, to me, uh, we've played with some pretty monumental bands, you know, mm. the Anthrax, the Soulflies. Um, I hit some, some of my own personal goals that I set out to musicians I wanted to play with or share the stage with. And I did that and some, um, and for us not even being a, um, a touring band again, or a signed artist to get the opportunity to play with park drive, whom in my eyes at that time was, I mean, and still are some of my favorite musicians. So that with, we came as Romans. Um, and then I can't even think of the third band. Um, it'll come to me. But this venue was a venue that was never used for music. It was like a dance theater. It's one of the oldest buildings in River, downtown Riverside, which they've been fixing up for years. So when we got the call um, to to do it, I mean, it was just head over heels. I'm like, this is amazing. So not to cut you off, but yeah, Parkway Drive at that time, it was, uh, that's when we were like, hey, we're getting this opportunity. Let's do this. And we kind of sparked back up again. And then it just kind of fell. So um yeah, that was a that was a fucking cool show. Yeah, I mean that's what I mean. Like when you say, oh, you know, we just play the occasional show for a benefit or for a special event. It's like, yeah, you guys do, but also you still fucking roll out and you know play with Parkway fucking Drive. I mean that that yeah. shows your band, despite having so much dust on the instruments that you're not really playing that often, you still have a reputation that is upheld. I mean that. Sure. That in itself is something yeah. you need to tip your cap to. Um, I want to say one more thing about the Mantis before I ask my last couple of questions. And I just want to state for my own ears that sometime soon, whether it's one year, two years or three years, I'm going to have new Mantis to be obsessed over. Is that what you're trying to tell me? That from from the bottom of my heart, that's absolutely the goal that's that's, that's the overall goal and i know we've been saying most most of the people that write us on facebook instagram um fuck even email 
uh, I'm the one who answers them back. I've done it my whole entire career when we had our forum. Um, that was one, one good thing I remember as an artist, I said, no matter if it's two in the morning, three or four in the morning, and I'm tired and there's someone who writes us, I'm going to write that person back regardless. If you know, like, I, I don't know if you get caught in those, Hey, what's going on, man. Then mm. it turns into 15 questions, <laughs> then 30 questions. Then you're kind of like, fuck. And you know, I used to get so annoyed at it. And now I'm like, put yourself in those, in that person's shoes, man, as, as a fan boy of many artists, you know, if I could get a, like a two minute conversation out of anybody, it's, it's the world to that person. So I still, to this day, even if it's, Hey, my cousin Earl from Nebraska showed me this here album and you know, you guys are awesome. Like, they, I take the time and I say, thank you. So, um, yeah, man, I would, I would absolutely love in the next year or two, before I'm 40 would be nice to start on this album. That's next February. So I'll be turning 40 next February. Um, so that, that would be uh, a huge mile, milestone in my, in my eyes. When in February are you born? The 28th. Oh, my I'm, birthday. I'm February the 11th. Are you? Yeah. February 28th, man. I turned, turn, I just turned 39. So. Well, I just turned 38. Um, so one year okay. behind cool. me, cool. Uh, in front of me. Sorry. Cool. Um, so, you know, Obviously, that's exciting. Something maybe, um, you know, I also just want to say that, look, whether it's a single, an EP, an album, or a couple of singles, whatever it is, you know, do what you got to do. Um, and I know you'll have fans, you know, clearly around the world that are going to be into it. Um, now, obviously, when Mantis slow down, life kicks on, and it's understandable. So life moves on, you know, you're... Your family life kicks up a gear, but also your career life kicked up a gear. Now, for, for yeah. any listeners who may or may not know, where has your life geared career and family-wise since Mantis has slowed down? Um, when we officially made a point that we were no longer going to tour and finish the album back in 2008, <clears throat> um, I had a goal. I, I love to cook. Uh, corner has always been a huge thing for me. So I ended up getting accepted to a corner school here in Southern California. And I became a chef for a few years and obviously living the life we did. If people knew us on tour, we, we were like, we were compared to like the Motley crew and Pantera of the two thousands party wise, which I'm not saying it to like how cool I am or how awesome that was because it kind of fucked us at, you know, in the end to partying that hard, not taking it as serious, but you know, you get a, like I said, you get a 23 year old kid in, in the middle of England, you know, fucking <laughs> no, no responsibilities. You're going to drink a few pints and a couple bottles, but, um, you know, as much damage as I put my body through, that's when I had to sit back and go, Hey, you know, I want to have a family and be there for my kids, you know, until I'm, I'm old enough to see them off. So uh, I think fitness and nutrition for me just fell into play. It was something where I just fell in love with working out and helping other people. And I mean, my entire life, I enjoy entertaining people, either that be with screaming in front of thousands of people, cooking for my family at a barbecue, or coaching a class of 40 people playing heavy metal, headbanging, you know, kicking people's asses. It's just been something I've, I've always loved to do. So, yeah, it was culinary school that got me into cooking, and then which led into the fitness aspect, and then training other people and, and making a transformation of myself, because... You know, I wasn't always the, the fittest vocalist and the sexiest, you know, six pack guy. Um, so it was really important for me to, to get that under control, which now has led into the health coaching and personal training. And I owned a gym for I ran a gym for six years. I owned it for about five years and I sold it um, a couple of years ago. 
it was just, it, it became a lot. And it, I started like, how do I explain this? It started going a direction where I, I no longer had full control over it. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to micromanage. So I had the opportunity to sell that gym, which is still functioning, slow things down. And now I do most of my stuff through Zoom and, and uh, Instagram. And uh, I coach with my beautiful girl, my fiance. Um, and it's, it's been a blessing, man, just helping, helping people change their lives. And that's, again, Second Life. That's the name of the health company. Second Life, I'm, I'm shooting um, you know clothing company that's coming out. Podcast has been a, a thing on the nice. on the back burner for me as well. Uh, Adair and I were actually going to start a podcast. It was going to be all things music, health, and fitness. Just shoot the shit of two friends, like just talking and, and grinding and doing all that stuff. So that may still be in the works, you know, God willingly. But yeah, man, it's it's been a blessing, you know. And, and I still get that. Hey, you're Jake from Mantis, which is is always going to be cool. I never get tired of hearing that because, you know, that's that's what started everything. Look, I think I think it's you know a breath of fresh air and exciting to hear that you know life has moved on, but it's you know in many ways improved. You know your health, you're helping other people. Yeah, you know, and also it's got to be important with all the damage that you uh, copped in that car accident. You know you're you need oh, yeah. to maintain your own health. Um, and you're looking sure. fit, man. Like you're not you know no slouch. So I mean, if if you can look fit, clearly you know what I've seen your clients look fit. So uh, not sure, not sure. bad at all, man. Not bad at all. Yeah, it was fun running the CrossFit gym, man. Because it, I ra I always ran my fitness uh, my uh, my gym as like a, a heavy metal concert. Mm -hmm. I used to run events there a lot, so I'd have bands, I'd have DJs. You know, all my classes, we play Metallica Mondays and stuff like that. But, you know, I'm performing, you know, when I'm coaching that, those classes for an hour, you know, I've got 30, 40 people in front of me and I, I'm, I'm on stage, man. I'm headbanging, <laughs> I'm dancing, I'm jumping. So that, that's been the funnest part. And I still take that energy into all my clients um, and even my daily life, man. You just got to look at one day, you know, one day at a time and just, you know, do your best. Yeah, rise and grind, I think is the perfect saying you know rise up sure, grind sure. at it and do your best for the day man and um i love to see it um now jake you're not getting away from the final segment this is a segment called pick your poison um 160 odd guests everyone's had it um everyone from des of devil driver you know to you know anyone you can think of that's been on the show has had yeah. this now what happens is i give you two options you pick your favorite of the two. You do not need to justify your answer, but if you're worried about your answer being picked apart by the listeners, you are welcome to justify your answer. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> they are in food categories, music and movie categories, and a couple of random ones thrown in there. So would you rather have a pizza or a burger? Pizza. Okay. Would you rather ribs or brisket? Brisket. Chicken or beef? Chicken. Okay. Soft taco or crunchy taco? Ooh. Can I say double decker? Ooh, nice. Yeah. No, I'll go soft. I'll, I'll go soft. I don't think they make the double deckers anymore, but you get a little bit of both if you get the double decker. Um, <laughs> taco or nacho? Taco. Okay, are you having it with guac or not with guac? Guac. Okay. Are we talking Chipotle for the dollar fifty extra, or? <laughs> let's say yeah. Let's say it's a dollar fifty extra. Sorry, I'm a smartass man. So I yeah, love guac, it. guac is 
Buck is always added. I love it. Um, smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? Oh, fucking any kind of peanut butter, man. That's my that's my shit. Um, creamy. Okay, thank you, thank you. Because I'm sorry, I, I, it's been a running thing that some listeners have heard. Anyone that says crunchy, I think you're a sadist because think about it. You spread that on bread, you rip the fuck out of your bread. Why do you well, want that? Here's a, I know you said no no justifying, but the creamy, yeah, if you're doing a, a peanut butter jelly or you're using it as a dip, but if you're going for that just midnight tablespoon, crunchy's kind of cool because you get a little mm. bit more of the texture. But yeah, the creamy, you know, by far is the best. Crunchy's good for just that quick snack. Yes, that's fine. I can I I can agree yeah. to it on a snack. But I'm not spread, yeah, I'm not no. spreading that shit on on some Weber's bread because it's just no. gonna it's gonna piss me off. Why the fuck do I want holes in my bread? All because of what no. I spread on it. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, right? and and you can just and you can justify your answer. You can justify. All right. Um, uh, where were we? So, coffee or tea? Coffee. How many? Uh, I'm still on the energy drinks. You know, I've got a couple different like sugar-free energy drinks that I mm -hmm. do. So with coffee, man, it's it's usually like after breakfast. I, I I went my whole life without drinking coffee up until I think five years ago. Then I became like a, when I owned my gym, I had a, um, a cold brew kegerator. It was nitro brewed um, coffee, and I had that in the gym because I was stopping every morning before I'd go into the office, and I'm getting a cold brew coffee, and I'm like, why am I fucking paying four dollars when I could, you know, I have a full nutrition store in my gym. I'll just fucking sell some nitro brew. So I got with a local roaster and they were delivering kegs of, of cold brew. So that's when my love for coffee kind of started. Mm -hmm. I was having like six to seven a day. Like it, and Fuck. I say day, like that's, <laughs> that's like nine, to, that's like from nine to two. That's not even like a full day. So I'll just sip on that. And then I'd start to learn how to do like the French press and the pour over. And now it's, now I'll just do espresso. So espresso is the easiest. I don't put shit in it. Just straight up triple shot of espresso and call it a day. <sighs> Fuck, that's that's yeah. yeah, that's that's going for the caffeine right there. That's yeah. Yeah, I'm a ca I'm a caffeine junkie, dude. Yeah, um, I feel you on the energy drinks, man. I'm trying to wean off them at the moment. Um, I, I mean, I found some good ones that like there's zero everything. Like the um, Owen's got the amino energies, and they're just quick, especially before my workouts. Um, I don't I don't like mess with all the pre workouts, mm. so I like something carbonated. I feel like it settles a little bit better for me. Um, so yeah, also it's not like the 35 grams of sugar monsters mm. or the th those types it's it's more of like the more fitness kind of energy drinks i guess you could say yeah we so. don't really get many of them in australia and i had to stop taking the pre-workout for um you know i've got white free weights and stuff in the garage because i was uh sorry listeners it's a bit of a side note but i was taking pre-workouts and it didn't seem to matter which pre-workout i'd have and i'd actually vomit the pre-workout no. up before I actually hit the gym because, you know, it always says half an hour or 40 minutes before you hit the gym. So I'd take it, sit, listen yeah. to music, get kind of pumped up. And sure. I'd, then I'd yeah. projectile vomit that pre-workout before uh, I went to the gym. So weird. I couldn't, weird. couldn't do would that. Be on an empty would that be on an empty stomach? Wouldn't matter. Wouldn't matter. Wouldn't matter. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I was, when I, it was the same thing going from like the band and drinking every night to, working at the gym and owning a nutrition store is like, I was like pre-workout junkie, dude. It was like, I was doing so much, like six to 800 milligrams a day and you shouldn't have over like 500. No. So when you're getting free samples, like, Oh, this one's like, you know, powder cocaine, like, okay, cool. You know, <laughs> Give just, me a like, guy. <laughs> so I was doing, I was doing a lot. And then that's, I think when I went to coffee was to get off of that. Mm. And then 
I think when it, you know, when it gets fucking 120 degrees here in Riverside, you don't want a hot cup of coffee or a shot of espresso. So cold energy drinks fucking 10 times better, dude. So yeah, man. Fuck yeah. Um, now you're going to have a meal at home or are you going to have a meal out at a restaurant and it's your last meal ever? At home, man. I love to cook. Mm. It'd be for my whole family and my girls. <clears throat> you're going to see a new movie at the cinema? Or wait to watch it on the couch at home. Couch at home. Nice. Um, you're going to spend the day at the beach or spend the day at the snow? Uh, beach. Okay. I can't do cold weather. Um, are you a cat or a dog person? Dog. Yes. I just fell in love with you. I've got three. So you, have to, <laughs> so you kind of have to say dog. Dude, that's the... That's the first thing I bought with my signing bonus was a English bulldog. She was like, oh. she was my, she was like my road dog, man. I love that dog. So, yeah, I always told myself, oh, if I ran enough money, get a dog. Most people are like you wasted your, you know, your nice. your signing bonus on a dog. But mm-hmm. I'm like, hell no, I got ten good years with that dog. Dude. It was like my daughter. So yeah, man, I bought I bought an English bulldog. Clint bought guns. I think Adair bought a guitar or something. And then uh, yeah, I bought a dog. And then I went on tour like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Terminator or Predator? Terminator. James Bond or Jason Bourne? I never got into the Bonds, man, so I guess Jason Bourne. Okay. Uh, Rambo or Rocky? Ooh, Rocky. Okay. Um, South Park or Simpsons? Simpsons, uh, just because I grew up that. I'm justifying, but only because that was more my, my era. I guess mm-hmm. we, well, although we watched a lot of South Park in the in the bus on tour, so that was cool. Anchorman or Step Brothers? Step Brothers. Okay. Um, Slayer or Pantera? Pantera. Terra or Madball? Fuck, that's <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> um. Terror, just because we we did more shows with them, man. So I I got to know those guys a little bit more. Um, Cannibal Corpse or Black Dahlia Murder? Probably Black Dahlia. Uh, Anthrax or Testament? Anthrax. Darkest Hour or God Forbid? God Forbid. Converge or Dillinger Escape Plan? Ooh, Dillinger, man. Those guys are nasty. It was a shame to see them uh, play the last show. Suicide Silence or Whitechapel? Mitch Suicide? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Probably Suicide. They're, oh, that's another, they're hometown boys. I forgot to mention them back at the beginning. They're, they're Riverside boys. So Mitch went to the same high school I'd gone to. He was a few years below us, though. I think he was maybe 80. I think he was born in 84. I have to recheck that. He's a couple years younger than me, yeah. but yeah, he went to, uh, yeah, Mitch went to the same high school I went to. So. Okay, now, we're last few. You're playing a show. Let's say it's this show coming up. Would you like to see stage dives happening or mic grabs happening while you're playing? I'm old school, man. Stage dives. Nice, nice. You're going to go to a show. Are you going to watch it from the pit or are you going to watch it from the sound desk? I usually get in the pit. 
Wee, a lot of credit to you. I um, as soon as I get near the pit, my knees start hurting, so I uh, never go in the pit anymore. I'm in retirement. I know, I know where I, I stand at the outside of the pit at my old age, but I mean, I, I've been known to still get in. I think on tour, shit, I would still fucking. I think I mosh almost every night with Hatebreed and Tear. When I used to, cool. when I used to drink, um, and I was at a show, the pit was a dangerous thing for me because I get so energized, and then, you know, I'd wake up the yeah. next morning with a my shoulder fucking caning and i don't know why it's because i went on a rampage um so drink yeah. and mosh pits don't mix for me um that's the only way yeah that's most of the time i get in them or with a drink in my hand has been <laughs> has been known to happen now the second last one let's imagine you know all situations uh in a spot where they can happen but they don't exist Together, they exist independently. Now, it will make sense when you get these options. Would you rather tour for the rest of your life or record music for the rest of your life? Ooh, that's fucking... I miss touring, man, but to be able to record music for the rest of your life is something that... The, the touring will be a memory last forever, but your music will always be there and to, to pass on for many generations. So I would say record music. And last one, I'm going to give you your all-time favorite album. And the way I give it to you is the only way you can listen to it for the rest of your life. Are you going to have it on CD, vinyl, or on your phone? Uh, CDs are becoming obsolete, man. Your phone, I guess the cloud will last forever. But I do like vinyl, man. I, I collected records for many years, and there's nothing like you know, putting it on the needle, but probably your, the phone, man, because with Bluetooth technology, it's going everywhere with you. I don't yeah. even have a CD player in my Jeep, dude. I bought a, a 2020 Jeep uh, Cherokee. There's no CD player in there. I still, dude, I still have my my book of CDs in alphabetical order from old bands that we toured with, and I can't even fucking play them anywhere. So, yeah, man, phone. It's, it's weird. The times have changed. You know, I, you know, from about the age of eight, I've been collecting CDs, you know, I've got like 3,000 of them sitting in boxes, but I can't, you know, I can't have them in my room anymore. So I have a collection of vinyl, but it's low key. It's probably like close to 200. Um, and my wife thinks it's hilarious because she says, you've got all this shit that you like musically that you collect, but you don't use them. I said, well, I can't. I don't have a CD player in my car. I don't have a, I don't have a vinyl player in my backpack when I go to work. So I just play yeah. everything off my phone. But I... I oh, dude, like I, collecting. The one thing I do when I'd get home from tours is uh, I remember on my laptop, um, my iTunes, I would just sit there and I'd upload every fucking mm -hmm. CD I had. Or if, you know, we went on the road and then I'm going to use Terry again, you know, and we get a couple albums from them or hand off shit, I come home, fucking upload that CD on my laptop. And I'm so glad I did it now is I've got all that in my bank for fucking ever. So which now iPhone and iTunes work hand in hand. So I'm glad I spent the time to do it, even though now I... I look back and go, I wasted so much fucking time because I could go to Spotify <laughs> mm, and have mm -hmm. every album right there. Mm -hmm. But, you know, no one knows that 10, 15 years ago. So No, see, I'm, I'm the same that. with my – I was always the same with my iTunes as well. And then I'd take my time to then get the artwork for mm -hmm. it and then I'd make sure – it didn't matter to anyone else, but I'd make sure the genre classification was specific sure. to what I want it to be because then you could, That's you funny. know – click on that and you'd be like melodic metalcore and then you'd have those bands. But, sure. Yeah. And it's a trip yeah. now. Like you said, you know, you go to Spotify and it's like, whoa, look at that. Why did I waste and that's, that? That's, yeah. and it's cool. Cause you mentioned vinyl, man, because, um, 
it's cool watching a lot of these these new bands i shouldn't say new but bands that are you know still doing in 10 years they're they're putting out albums on vinyl i think that's one of the coolest fucking things that's something i mean i'd want to put out an album just to put on fucking vinyl Mm -hmm. you know it was cool we had the enhanced cd back in the day that had the you know the music videos but to have a an actual you know seven inch or you know just any kind of vinyl i think that would be extraordinary man that'd be phenomenal <clears throat> it's a fucking so well i mean there's there's your idea you know 2025 for the 20 year anniversary of sleep in your grave let's get a repress yeah on vinyl dude that might actually be a cool idea there you go you heard it here first 20 20 20 years old man shit yeah, we're getting old <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um yeah look jake first thing i'm gonna say um we went a little bit over time but uh worth every minute Look, um, I appreciate the time, the energy, um, the honesty, um, and just the fun. But look, this was a blast. You know, for me as a fan, great. For listeners, even better. Um, and I'm just very, 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 very um, thankful. Yeah. No, man. I'm, the pleasure is all mine. I haven't. I don't think I've done an interview probably since I think 2008, um, somewhere around there. I've done some local stuff for magazines and some newspapers. And um, other than that, this is cool, man, because back when we did, it'd be a phone call. Mm. You don't get the interaction now. But now, I mean, you know, like I said, me and my fiance doing so many Zooms, I was never an interview person. Adair and Clint were always the spotlight. Obviously, Adair's very talented kid. So he would do majority because I was kind of like the guy in the back. I would always be in my my bunk like you know resting my vocals i wouldn't get out much i'd be at the merch table but i didn't have to say much it'd be pictures and shots with fans so um yeah man this was amazing your lineup your your roster of musicians you've had on your your show has been incredible i mean caliban that new album Mm. is ridiculous you know and then just seeing scott from earth crisis i mean that's the type of shit earth crisis was a huge movement for me especially in southern california um they opened my eyes along with strife um so this was amazing dude and I, I appreciate the time no dude um the, the honor has been mine you're a fucking legend dude <laughs> hey man i'm just here to help other people and fucking put smiles on faces dude well you've done that to me today brother you've done that to me um but i'll let you go don't be a stranger i won't man yeah follow follow my, what i'm doing and obviously like i said I, I try and post as much on the mantis page but sometimes like you know what's the point we won't we only got <laughs> 500 fans and i don't most people don't even come find us. So, um, you know, once we post stuff, I'll, I'll be putting on my stories and what I'll do is I'll tag you. If I do any like fucking cool videos or shit, I know you don't do that kind of stuff on yours, but at least you could watch and, and keep mm. up to date with us. So I'll try and remember to do all that stuff for you. No, oh, too easy, brother. Um, this has been an honor. This has been epic. Um, I'll let you go. I've got to go probably dig holes in the backyard. Now the wife's probably got me uh, laboring for the rest of the day. So, that's yeah, yeah. right on. <laughs> right on, man. Well, thank you, dude. Right, it was nice meeting you, brother. You too, Jake. Take care. All right. Out, bye. Out, bye. bye.
So that was my chat with Jake of Mantis, and at the end there you heard the band's track, Acts of Redemption. Second track was Weathered Soul, and the final track was Reflections of You. All three of those tracks come off the band's album, Sleep in Your Grave. Now's the part of the show where I spark that thing inside you to support the band that's been on the show. So if you enjoyed the conversation, or you enjoyed the music at the end there, get online, stream it, download it, in fucking joy it. If you're into physicals, you might be able to find a CD floating around on eBay, so make sure you get out and grab yourself a copy. And lastly, if you're into merch, you might be able to find yourself some of that too, so make sure you jump online, scope that out, grab yourself a shirt. I need to take this moment to thank Jake again. Thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone episode 163. Done, dusted, all wrapped up, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget... You can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.